Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. This is our weekly podcast that tells our stories of starting and running our float centers while providing insights and tips along the way. As always, you can find us on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, at Art of the Float. And you can join the conversation by leaving a speak pipe on artofthefloat.com. It's that gold bar on the left side of the screen. Uh, also, you can always find our show notes, links, pictures from every episode at artofthefloat.com. I am Dylan. I own the float shop in Portland, Oregon with Sandra Kong. I'm joined tonight with, as always, Amy of Float Nashville, Lance of the Float Shack in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. And just uh, an FYI, if you want to help support the show, you can always do so by clicking through to the Amazon link on artofthefloat.com on the products page. If you bookmark that, any purchase you ever make helps support the show. We greatly appreciate it. And also, we are available for consulting as well. So you just want to click on the consulting button on there if you are interested. I'm very excited to bring on our guest later in the episode. Tobin Cooley is a board-certified acoustical engineer, the president of Listen Acoustics. And so I think this is going to be a very interesting episode as we really delve into all the things we need to know about vibrations and sound and what we can do to diminish those things getting into our float tanks. Uh, before we get started, I do just want to mention a couple things. One is that we have our software roundtable coming up April 12th on artofthefloat.com forward slash roundtable if you want to learn more about that and how we'll be demonstrating things like booking softwares and just different things that can make your processes easier so that you can save your time uh, while you're running your float center. Also, we are actually having a soundproofing webinar uh, in early June. We don't have a date nailed down just yet, but stay tuned. Uh, we'll be announcing that pretty soon here. So if you are interested in going uh, further in-depth in soundproofing and understanding uh, how sound travels and how to read things like STC scores, uh, we're going to be teaching that in a webinar coming up in June. I also want to give a shout out to California Float Concepts, of course. Uh, these guys, so we've covered their actual float tanks and all the cool things that they're doing, including, by the way, dual uh, pumps. I'll, I'll get this in into this later in the episode, but I actually had to replace a pump today. Uh, the biggest scare is downtime, is finding the time to replace this thing when it's not working and the fact that it can cause downtime. You don't want to cause noise to your other floaters while that's happening. Well, these puppies are made with two different pumps at the same time. So if one goes down, you've got another one uh, that can, can bear the load during that time. But it's also designed to take care of a lot of different pain points for people's uh, float centers, including... Um, the fact that heating mats aren't necessarily super reliable. I think all of us who've owned float centers for more than a few years know that these things die out um, and also deals with the issue that inline heaters aren't great for super long floats, especially those float centers offering uh, overnights. Uh, we, you just can't do that with the inline heaters. And so uh, this, this, uh, this float tank is taking care of all those things. It's pretty incredible. So you want to go to www.cafloatconcepts.com if you want to learn more about that. And I assume you do because <laughs> they're pretty impressive. We've, we've geeked out on those float tanks pretty hard. Uh, let's see here. All right. Lance, or, yeah, Lance and Amy, how are you guys doing? Doing great, Dylan. Thanks. Nice. Lance, how about yourself? Are you, are you back at the float shack or are you still working on your house? Uh, yeah, I was there yesterday for maintenance, our mm. good old maintenance Monday. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm off today because I do a podcast on Tuesdays and, uh, I'm back at her tomorrow. <laughs> so nice. Um, yeah, getting into the swing of things again. Uh, now I'll just be, uh, fixing up my house and all my side projects on my spare free time. Right. <laughs> um, just, just like it's always been free so. in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah, we've had a, 
Pardon I, me? I noticed Matthew posted a Facebook Live video uh, where he was getting hair dye out of the float tank. Were you part of that at all? Or I didn't know you guys have a full uh, system for eliminating that. Uh, well, what's, we haven't really had any like big issues with hair dye. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, have had some discoloration, which usually just goes away with, um, you know, filtration, hydrogen peroxide and things like that. But we were sort of in a crunch. I, I wasn't actually there as Matthew, um, mm-hmm. but we wanted to get our floaters in, um, as quick as we could mm-hmm. without canceling any floats. Like you just mentioned <laughs> yeah. about switching that pump. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Matthew just posted that on to see what the community had in mind. And what I told him to do was get our sump pump and put a carbon filter on there and just circulate that through. But that really didn't work like um, oh. it, it should have. But um, thinking of it, our carbon filter is about two years old and it's been used every ah, single week to fill up our float tank. So um, I think that is something that I'll definitely be replacing every maybe six months or so. Um but I've heard that work for other people. Yes. Um, just circulating your water through a carbon filter. Um, that catches a lot of the hair dye. Uh, but we just gave her a heavy dose of hydrogen peroxide, um, canceled the floats for the day, and um, the next day, mm. um, the water was looking pretty clear. Um, just the, you know, the water line that needed a good scrubbing to get some of that reddish out. Yeah. Um, Matthew did call the client back and let him know that there was some discoloration and damages, but she did point out some flaws in our waiver form. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She said she was using a temporary hair dye, Mm -hmm. um, but she dyed it 60 days ago. And I believe our waiver form says two weeks. Wow. So she said 60 days. Um, you know, wow, that's a long time. I, yeah. So I don't know if there was, you think a non-permanent hair dye wouldn't last 60 days, but, um, I don't know. Uh, anyways, we managed to get our float tank clean and yeah. Nice. But, but you did have to cancel floats to do that because you added extra hydrogen peroxide to burn it up. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And just, it wasn't in our, we didn't want to have a, you know, reddish water yeah. um, to our clients. Sure. So it wasn't in our criteria. So we decided just to cancel the floats for the day and um, get her cleaned up. And luckily the next day was our maintenance Monday. So um, it's all oh, good. Nice, nice. Well, just, just to back up what you said, like I, I would assume what you're talking about is absolutely correct because we've used uh, carbon filters in the past in our tranquility tank and it's zapped that hair dye pretty quickly. I've, I've been impressed with it, but they do have not a shelf life, but I mean, they can only absorb so much, right? Yeah, so it's not something, you know, it's not something I really thought of was switching out the carbon filter. We used to have it hooked onto just our, our wall and then to the hose. So you don't really think of right. it. It's, it's just there. But um, come in emergency time, like when you need to get a hair dye out, it's nice to have at least a, a fresh one um, sitting on the shelf somewhere. Nice. Um, but yeah, we did have some like major, sort of like an online meltdown through social media. Um, so mean? if you've been listening in the past, uh, we have had um, our Wounded Warrior coupons, which are our free floats that we've handed right. out in the coupon book. Right. I'm going to continue to let everyone know how much of frustration this has been <laughs> for us. Um, we had a lady completely, completely share her feelings online um, about our coupons in a book in, um, on a business page called um, Red Deer Business Reviews. Ooh. So I had a friend tag me in this post. And basically, she had a big um, emotional l- breakthrough, I guess, 
on how angry she is that we're only accepting our coupons Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays from 9 to 3 because it didn't work with her schedule. And this created a whole feed. Um, and what I've come to see in this group is it's mostly sharks. It's mostly sharks just waiting to bounce and, you know, attack anyone that could. We were called, you know, people were calling the shady shack and all these like uh, very like hurtful uh, terms. And these in reviewing all this, these are people that have never even bis- visited our business. Right, right. So um, that was very hard to see just this online just sort of dump of no matter what you said, they'd attack it and you couldn't sort of they, they just want you to say you know, apologize and say, we'll let you float whenever you want. And right. um, they just want their way. And if they don't get their way, they will just keep attacking. So, so I've had to step back from that a bit and let it boil yeah. over. But we started to see our floaters um, get note of this or our clients and they stepped up for us. And they oh, sort nice, of, nice. Um, it's cool to see the people that do support us, you know, jump into this conversation be like, what are you guys talking about? They're giving <laughs> you like an amazing deal here. This is how right. these coupons work. But um, yeah, you gotta be ready for things like that. We've really had social media and our online presence has been great. You know, every time mm-hmm. it beeps, you get a review, you know, five stars, things like that. But something like this happens and, uh, yeah, you gotta be ready. You gotta be ready to, um, protect your business and, um, have a good way to answer to your community. If you would let that sit for three or four days, that really looks poorly so, on your, uh, so did you did respond? It wasn't just about the community yeah. responding. How did you approach that? Immediately. Um, I just had a response to say, um, I had to explain our terms and conditions for the coupon and redeeming them and how it it is printed on the coupon. Um, It says some restrictions do apply, Mm -hmm. um, but we don't say exactly what restrictions Mm. is what angers them. Um, But this is something we wanted to sort of... uh, um, have some flexibility with through our busy times, our slow times, things like that. So fortunately right now, it's our busiest time of the year. So we had to sort of crunch those times down to three days a week during the daytimes. Um, in the summer, when things slow down, we're definitely going to open those back up. Um, but people aren't liking that. So I, I just took approach of explaining how it is and why we did it this way yeah. and how we are the most expensive service in this book. So it comes with, you know, the most sort of conditions but. and it is you said it is a free float right but yeah and and our business it, it's a complete free float there's five thousand of them handed out in these um, 25 dollar coupon books that helps um injured um people that were in service so uh yeah it, it's completely free and other things in the book are like a free pizza a free hamburger a free haircut free right. slurpee like these items that you can make you know 50 pizzas in an hour we can only do three floats in two hours. So mm-hmm. we're, we're quite a bit different than the rest of the businesses in this book. Yeah. But this is something we've learned from. Next year, will we do this again? Probably not. It's targeting the right, wrong clients. Right, it's yeah. definitely getting our <laughs> name out there, and people are definitely hearing about it. And we're, we're full. We're, we're two, three days in advance. We're booking nice, up. Nice. Um, but, you know, a percentage of that are the coupons. But next year... We're going to sort of target a little more of the clients that we actually want through the door. That's so, the idea. Uh, lesson learned. Um, I've said this before. Um, we're going to be doing this till September, so this probably won't be the last time mm. you hear me ranting about this. <laughs> um, but it's something we've learned from. So that's all part of the journey of becoming an entrepreneur is some, some things work, some things don't work, sure. and uh, learn to grow from there. But other than that, we're... 
it, We're it, still running people through the doors. It is amazing to me that people can complain about free. I mean, that is that is pretty phenomenal to me. But they they're definitely out there, and it's just about attracting the right people, right? Like, how do we do that? And um, a lot of time on the Flow Facilitators group, they're talking about Groupon and how that's just not attracting the right people for them. And and mm-hmm. I. I, I agree and I disagree with that, but for the most part, I think people agree that's not the demographic we're trying to attract to our to our float centers. And just how do how do we pull those people in for this one? Your book was not the one. <laughs> yeah, no, that wasn't it, it. Like I said, definitely gets our name out there, mm-hmm. and but not in the right place, unfortunately. And who knows? You know, longer term, I'm curious if it just that brand identity that you were you know helping support yeah. that and everything. Maybe that is the right step forward. Even if it's not the right financial step at the moment and the heartache that goes with it, too. Exactly. There may be long-term benefits from it. But, you know, like I said, I'll continue to update everyone and cool. let you know how it's going. And as as unpleasant as the situation has been online, the fact that your floaters are stepping up, the reality of it is this actually may be a really nice boost. I'd be interested to see if you are getting more hits to your website since this started. Mm-hmm. If you are seeing any difference on social media, on new likes, new ads. Uh, so sometimes these things that are difficult to go through in the moment and that seem very, um, that seem horrifying in the moment actually end up being a beautiful thing for your business from, a, mar- from a marketing standpoint. That's exactly how I saw it too. A very small percentage of people are going to see that post anyways, because it's on such a select page. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe those small percentage of people, maybe they're not the, the, the people we want anyways, right. but the, the, the talk and conversation of this and how it amps myself and Matthew <laughs> up, you know, they're like, I, I, I've, had that changes perspective where I sort of tried to see the good in some of this. Um, so I had idea of, you know, doing a press release and letting, letting our community know that we have, you know, $30,000 in floats that is donated through this campaign. Um, here are some of our restrictions. So let's know we're helping our community. Here's who we are. We've been here three now, three years, you know, so have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we got a three-star, I think it was a Google review just a couple days ago, and one of our employees was like, should we respond to this? Should we message them? Because, you know, they, most of the review sites give you that option at this point. And I look, I went online, I was like, we have a 5.0 rating on Google. Like, uh, no, nah, we're, they didn't, they didn't actually write a review, they just clicked the stars. I don't feel like that was somebody super invested. Like, just moving on, right? Like, that's a micro version of what you experienced, but... Like, when do you actually need to step in? When not to? It's mm. going to be different for everybody. But for us, it was just moving on. At least that was my point of view. Uh, Amy, how are you doing? Doing all right now. Doing <laughs> all right. It's been a crazy week. What's <laughs> Something in the water. Always. Actually, I missed y'all. First of all, I missed y'all Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the gang is back together, by the way. I meant to I celebrate know. that. The family's back. All right. <laughs> I know. Lance was finally back, and then I ended up with the flu. Um, but while I was in Ugh. bed with the flu, the next day I got a frantic email from my employee that the health inspector had come by to do, you know, normal inspection. And this time it's not, it wasn't our usual inspector who they've just moved Uh-oh. to another part of the city. Uh-huh. It's a new inspector who our inspector had trained. And this guy basically came in... Um, 
we only had one person using the tank, so we were using the time. Dylan, uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at you, Dylan. Uh, Hebron was working on uh, the other tanks, getting them up to uh, up to snuff, uh, doing some maintenance type work, and the inspector comes in and measured uh, the temperature on our water. That was the first thing he did, <laughs> and of course, Hebron had just heated it up to 95 and to add the salt. Uh, and the guy oh, said, no. "Well." In front of the client who is sitting there, who's getting ready to float for the very first time, brand new client, basically said that we were um, out of compliance because our water was above 94 degrees. And uh, Hebron's like, I, you know, I, I had training on how to deal with the inspector. I thought our water uh. was allowed to be above. And I said, Hebron, just it's okay. We're we're all right. Um, I'll, I'll deal with this. Uh, it took me a few days to get a hold of this new one, but uh, yeah, he told us that he was coming back in 10 days and our water better be below <laughs> 94 degrees. Wow. Yeah. Um, so. Wow. I love your reaction though. Like this is somebody who's ran a float center for a minute. <laughs> you know, like a lot of people oh. be running around with their hands above their head like there's a fire. Oh, oh, well, you know, the funny thing is, well, not the funny thing is, I, I'm, I'm telling it in a way that, of course, puts me in a better light. The reality of it is there is a lot of four-letter words that are coming <laughs> out of my mouth. Um, but nice. because, what you know, I knew that that couldn't possibly be correct. Um, if it was, nobody told me. But what irritated me more is he said this in front of a prospective client who's yeah. getting ready to get in a tank. He God. kept the client out of the tank for 15 minutes. Oh, um, no. So, yeah. Wait a minute. So we're, the you can have an inspector show... I'm sorry to talk over you. You can have an, a, yeah. an inspector show up and disrupt your client flow to do their test. That's uh, I've never had it happen before. <sighs> or have the inspector say that we were out of compliance in front of a client, well, and the client was upset. You know, obviously at this <sighs> point, a little upset um, that you know I wanted to come float. I thought it was safe level, and I'm like, oh boy. Oh, so man. my anger. I could deal with the 94. Um, I knew yeah. that I, you know, I have the options uh, for that. But um, what I was probably more irritated with is he bullied my employee, or my perception was mm. he bullied my employee, and uh, he made a very bad impression in front of a new client. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here we are. We worked for five and a half years now with our health department to create this very trusting relationship. Um, so it was a very frustrating thing, and it was tough to get a hold of of anyone. Of course, oh. I come to find out he he did apologize for the 94 degrees. Uh, he came back and said, "Oh, I talked to our the gentleman we work with um, yeah. for health regulations," and he said, "Oh, he says you're you're regulated as a hot tub, so you're allowed to go up to 104." Oh my god! I'm like, okay, well that's not quite correct, uh. but, that, but you know what? I'm just gonna let <laughs> it go. It. I, um, <laughs> Okay. Oh my All goodness! Right. Wow, that's a new so, one to uh, me—a uh, <laughs> new inspector with a completely different set of rules. That's fun. Who, I guess, didn't pay attention, training, or did not have the did not have our paperwork. Mm -hmm. um, so didn't take the time to read our paperwork to see what our our specific rules mm. were. It was a very frustrating, um, very <laughs> frustrating thing. And you know, you always go back and forth between, I'm really angry. But he's our health inspector. I right. need to think about how I approach this so I better calm down <laughs> before I email. Yeah, say horrible things. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping to get a meeting to discuss the client thing because that that uh, could hurt. You know, that hurt us financially and um, could. I, I don't believe that they should have the right to do that, but I'm going to certainly investigate that because um, that wasn't cool and that that was not not good for not good for us. So uh, yeah, so it's been an interesting week, and I've had to go back to the health department and and talk some more. So. Uh, that's not uh, not something I was expecting yeah. uh, while I was lying in bed with the flu. But uh, <sighs> but but you know, 
And these things happen. I, don't, I think for those of us who deal with health inspectors, this is going to be an ongoing thing. And mm. I should say, I am in the South. Bless his heart. He was <laughs> a he was a restaurant <laughs> inspector, and they just threw him into swimming pools. No, um, they no. didn't literally. Yeah. Right. So he's never. He's never inspected swimming pools before, so he's new, bless his heart. So, you know. <laughs> I love that I know the code, bless, bless their yeah. heart. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but, so i, uh, I got to give him some slack. I'd, I'd yeah. say that was funny, but that's just terrible, right? <laughs> I, I'm definitely I'm smiling about it now, but a few days ago I was still I <sighs> I lost I lost my lost my stuff. Um, uh, how did so Mark handle it? Your business now. partner? Um, Mark was pretty stunned and I haven't. I'll be honest because I've been homesick. I haven't talked too much to Mark, mm. uh, and he's been he has so much on his plate. We didn't talk a whole lot about it. He was definitely perturbed, but he's always more calm. Have you ever have <laughs> you met Mark? He never <laughs> he never gets. Yeah, like freaked out about anything. Everything is like, okay, we'll deal with it. He's cool, and he kind of gets talks. He gets funnier, <laughs> like when there's stressful <laughs> stuff. He's actually funnier, more endearing. He never gets upset. Did so you have all good? I'm I'm the crazy one. I'm the screamer. Did you have your <laughs> staff meeting while you were sick? Yes. So this is oh, so no. Yeah, Lance is laughing. <laughs> well, isn't it true though? One of y'all, one of y'all is the screamer. They get always they they get angry about everything and they scream, and then the other one's like super calm. You have to have that balance. In Only there. when I'm driving. <laughs> Only when you're driving. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you guys need to know. float. Yeah. yeah. And I say that I really don't. Uh, uh, Good call. I don't get crazy, but but no. I'm definitely no. the one. I'm more emotion. No. I'm the more emotional. I'm the one who's going to react faster. <laughs> Um, but you know, it did end the week. We we actually started this week with a staff meeting, uh, and we got out of the office. So I don't know. Yeah, we have our monthly staff meeting, and from time to time we have to get out and have some fun. So we chose a new, a nice uh, little restaurant in town where all the entrepreneurs cool. are hanging out these days. We thought <laughs> it might be fun to catch a little cool vibe uh, and have some cocktails and nice. have our meeting, which in true Nashville style. Um, after we were done there, and that meeting lasted four hours longer than I had intended. Oh, my goodness. Because we could start talking. And, I mean, the meeting ended, but everybody stayed there and talked. Oh, cool. We nice. ended up at a bar where there was a jam, a blues jam. And uh, Hebron, our employee, got up, and, man, he was amazing. He's wow. Amazing guitar player. So awesome. it was a very Nashville staff meeting. Right? Uh, totally. But it was good. It was good nice. to, uh, to have that. Uh, after after last week, it was a good end to it. So. Oh, that's fun. Good, good for yeah, you. I'm very thankful. <laughs> that's yeah. great. Yeah. How about you, Dylan? What's going on in your world? Because I know you've already alluded to the pump issues. What happened? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my God. So it's all just about uptime with float tanks, right? And I feel like historically the float shop has just been rocking with any issue that we have. Sleep be damned. It's about getting those pumps back up, like no matter what. And this was another one of those cases, except that uh, Tuesday is our maintenance day, and so the pump died Monday night. Um, uh, maybe it was afternoon, uh, early evening. Either way, uh, Apollo Pool and Spa was still open, so I could order a pump. They had it first thing in the morning, grabbed that, was able to drop it in. I'm making it sound a little bit easier than it actually was. Uh, just a little <laughs> note to you float tank manufacturers. Pumps do die, and I need to access them. I need to be able to pull those pumps out, and so... Uh, that, that was a little rough, uh, you know, when the system is kind of built around the, the pump itself, it just makes things a little difficult. And I was dual, dual wheeling uh, giant wrenches as well, you know, bracing one end while pulling on the other, which is always fun and great for busting your knuckles into things. And then, uh, you know, working in salt water was a ton of fun, but 
you know, I mean, that's just, just what we sign up for. These these crazy times of just counting down the time till noon when somebody's about to float and and uh, bust an ass to, to get that pump back back installed, which oh, the sound of a brand new pump just silently humming away <laughs> was so nice compared to the pump. Just like a banshee, just uh, that was that was so much more pleasant. Yes. And uh, let's see here. What else? Uh, we launched our membership. So super stoked about that. So uh, just to, to, you know, we've been talking about that, but uh, just to clarify, uh, we're doing one membership. Technically, there's two. There's a secret menu option as well. Um, but the the main one is you pay for a float and then you get access to everything else that the float shop has to offer at extreme discount, about 25% off for everything else. And I think it's $39 floats uh, the rest of the time that you're with us. It might even be, nope, yeah, $39 I believe is what it is. So uh, just um, drops the price drastically, which beats the price for every membership that we currently have. Uh, so I think the question is, why the heck are we doing that? Uh, definitely great for the client, right? So no matter what, if they're not sure if they want to float eight times that month or if they just want to float two times that month, it flexes for them. It just becomes the size for them no matter what. They're paying the same amount every month, and then it's just if they want to pay for the extra floats every single month. So that's great for them. Uh, for us, it's also convenient just because of those rolling over floats. You know, if they pay for four or eight floats a month and then they're rolling over and then is it two months? And then do you really want to take that away from your client if they've rolled over and you know, if it's been three months and they were gone all summer, just all this, all this stuff that it's just funky to deal with and it's just not what we're about. So this just cuts through that. It makes it simpler. I think the biggest weakness to it for us is that, uh, you know, it's somewhere around $200 a month for an eight floats a month membership. Like, bam, the first of the month, we've got that money. We pay rent. Great. And we're done. Uh, now it's, you know, we have $59 <laughs> at the beginning of that month, at the beginning of the month from that same person. So basically, we need to buy in bulk. We need, we need customers to uh, to make up for that. So, so far, people have been extremely excited about this. So I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think we'll make those uh, memberships, the, the memberships, soar. Uh, and um, it's also just easier to do membership sales and membership drives, things like that. Um, so, you know, in the future, just promoting this one membership is going to be way easier than, well, you get $5 off this membership, but $10 off this membership, but 18% off of this membership. Like that, what, what is that? That's just a bunch of noise to people, especially when somebody's gotten out of a float tank. So one membership, super simple, done, moving on. Uh, now, to complicate that, we do uh, a lot of massage at our place as well. So we do have a secret menu. If if massage is what you want to show up for every month, you can also buy in for that as well. And it's just a couple bucks more. Yeah. Nice. So all your memberships come out at the, the beginning of the month? No, I was simplifying. Good question. No, <laughs> it doesn't actually work that way. It'd be nice, but no. It's usually um, we ring it up at the time. Not that they sign up, but the first time they come into float is when we usually start billing them. I know with with mind body per se, what we use, uh, you can set up for it's the first of the month, the fifteenth, any select day, uh -huh. or the day they're there. The day that they purchase the membership, ours is a thirty day cycle from there, which mm -hmm. I think most people do it that way. Yeah, I think you're right. Any other questions? Anything? Great, because I'm excited to bring on our next <laughs> guest.
But uh, but first, I do want to give a shout out to Float Helm, which is the scheduling software that does so much more than scheduling. It also does uh, assigning tasks, which by the way, Lance, in, in your Helm feature, just uh, assign it for every six months. <laughs> Buy a new carbon filter, and that way you don't have to worry about noticing it on the wall. And that's a feature that we use a lot uh, for for our uh, float studio. Uh, one thing we found is don't have a hundred different items; people glaze over that. But if you get the really important things, or have a main heading that uh, has assumed other responsibilities underneath it, that's the way to functionally get people <laughs> completing tasks. And it's so great because you can just have them you know, appearing throughout the day or uh, having one-offs for assignments to call somebody back, et cetera. So that works out really well. Floathelm.com is where you want to go to check out Floathelm and of course, sign up there as well. Tobin Cooley is a board certified acoustical engineer, president of Listen, Listen Acoustics. Welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, great to be here, Dylan. Thank you. Thank you so much. I should point out that Tobin and I are also friends. We uh, fight, well, used to be on a, what, a weekly, <laughs> weekly, <bit. laughs> twice a week. Uh, Tobin, you're a black belt. Is that right? That's true. That is pretty baller. <laughs> and uh, I think he might also be a, a black belt at uh, acoustical engineering as well. We'll find out tonight here. In fact, would you like to fill in our listeners a little bit on basically what it is that you do and maybe some experiences you've had or uh, contracts that you've taken out? Sure, Dylan. I've done a ton of different projects in my career, uh, but basically it all comes down to making buildings sound good. I really enjoy the process of, uh, you know, figuring out what a client's trying to do in a building, whether it's a concert hall or a performance venue uh, we work with a lot of big corporate clients, a lot of which don't allow me to talk about them on uh, oh, podcasts and sure. so forth. But uh, you can <laughs> you name it if you wear a very good quality athletic shoe. I've probably worked uh, with uh, several of those companies and uh, big corporate <laughs> clients designing uh, spaces. Uh, they have similar problems to and challenges to float um, centers. It's basically all about controlling sound, getting the sound you want, keeping the sound out you don't mm. want. Um, the cool side of the business is definitely designing studios, designing broadcast studios, recording studios, mm. performance venues. There's a, a, a tremendous amount of detail that goes into that and, and a lot of um, coordination basically with a lot of other people who have great ideas that may or may not be good for sound. We've got to advocate uh, for the sound position. Interesting. You know, before we get too much into the soundproofing aspect, uh, I'm going out to Carnegie Hall later this month and uh, going to see a show there. So I'm very excited about the the uh, performance aspect of, of audio. Are what what is the main aim when you're doing a venue like that? What's does that question the make any sense? Uh, sure. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> well, the key is is that. You know, you got a lot of people paying a lot of money for a great show, yourself right. included, and everybody should have a great seat mm -hmm. in that space. It's pretty easy to make a couple of great seats in a space, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, if everyone shows up and it has a spectacular oral experience, it, it's that's what really proves it out for a great hall. Mm -hmm. um, some of the block and tackle basics are, you know, you don't want to hear the train rumble by outside. You don't want to hear the HVAC kick on and <laughs> fans start worrying. I mean, these are things that sort of are assumed in great halls, but amazingly, in so many buildings that I work on, these are problems that have not been solved, that need to be solved, and are actually very tough to solve. So it's a lot of times it's the really basic things that are more difficult than the really 
wonderful sound, creating this spacious sound that sounds that envelops you in three-dimensional sound. Very interesting. And if I can just get one tidbit on how you get that perfect sound from point A to the hundreds of people all throughout the audience, how, how is that occurring? Well, it, when you start early in the design, it's all about setting your criteria. So there's certain things you want to do. For instance, everybody should have a certain level of loudness. It shouldn't be dead you know, in your seat. You should have enough loudness. And secondly, you should have enough sound coming to your ears from different angles. You don't want it all mm -hmm. in one plane. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a series of criteria you develop. M when you have the criteria figured out, then the physics starts to work to support those pieces. Okay. So at the end of the day, uh, what makes a great sound is all the pieces coming together and not having any jarring pieces that don't work. Interesting. And, and uh, so you, you take away all the bad stuff. You create this amazing sound, but... Uh, it's it's the sum of its parts. It's like a great musical instrument. It's like a great piece of art. Beautiful. Would that be somewhat true to soundproofing a room as well or creating a flow center? Yes, it's a great lead-in because, frankly, all the different types of projects that I work on, from classrooms to studios to uh, making sure uh, uh, industrial sites not too loud for a neighborhood mm. to solving mystery noise problems, uh, uh, you know, on television stations and so forth, it all comes down to the same kinds of problems. And that is, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, it's all about the details too. You know, so you can have huh. this grand concept or you can have a great product. Uh, and I'm sure it's like this in your business too. You can have a great float tank, but if the staff's not pulling it off, if, right. you're, if you don't have a good, you know, I don't I don't even understand what you guys do in your, you know, flow of business, but in acoustics, it, it is really down to the details. The sum of the parts is key. And, um, it's all the same problems. It's all about managing noise so that it doesn't get in if you don't want it. It's mm -hmm. a matter of, um, I don't think necessarily in a float you're looking for surround sound, but I, I would imagine you're looking for absence of negative sound mm -hmm. and a certain amount of um, uh, containment of sound from pumps, for instance. You mentioned pumps in the, in the lead up. Mm -hmm. uh, making sure all of the mechanical pieces don't create a problem mm -hmm. for, your, for your clients. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess just to give you a little bit more clarity in general uh, people aren't running pumps during floats at all because that's such a difficult okay. task to overcome but there are float centers out there that feel like they have uh, gotten a gotten a grip on that and they're able to run their pumps and stagger their floats so that is happening I think usually it's about voices in the building footsteps depending on the type of flooring and then outside the building traffic all of that stuff that can make its way in and of course, it's not just sound, but it's also the vibrations. It's the rumbles that occur. It's the construction that happened kitty corner from the float shop that, as they were drilling into the ground, <laughs> was was shaking people's float tanks, shaking the water. You know, that's th those impacts that's affecting us. So, uh, and another unique thing about the you know flotation side of things is when someone's in a float tank for an hour, an hour and a half and you tune down all that sensory input, it's almost like you become hypersensitive mm -hmm. to some of these sounds. Um, a fan that's maybe left on for the first half an hour of your float, you may not hear it, but by the end, that fan <laughs> may sound like it's right above you. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting how um, some of that, that audio um, can change um, when you're in a float. Mm -hmm. and that like brings up a great point because a lot of my clients, pretty much every client has this sensitivity level some people are not sensitive and it, and it varies <laughs> with time right but like if we do a, a school project 
and students at K through eight are trying to learn and you have a humming uh, HVAC unit outside the window, an adult might not be bothered by that. Mm -hmm. But if a kid gets interrupted in the middle of a sentence, they're trying to listen to a teacher and, and they lose a vowel or a consonant, sometimes that can make the difference between them actually understanding and testing properly. Mm. So so the, the, the point being that a person's sensitivity in that time is is a really critical piece of achieving the success. So if you're having a cold when you go to Carnegie Hall and you really can't hear the mm -hmm. finer high frequency details, it might not matter to you that you're sitting in a seat that has a really harsh glare of acoustic, you know, echo off the wall, but another person might be completely sensitive to that. Nice. You know, before we keep uh, delving into this, uh, something that we were talking about before the show was I, I was talking about how I had spoken with several sound experts. And uh, tell me about your background and how you are a sound expert. Well, I, I would say it starts with the ears. I'm a musician from day one. I was a musician mm -hmm. from a young age, so I developed an ear. And, and, I, and I also had a great curiosity about sound. Mm -hmm. So I'd play music with a band and we'd go to a space and it would sound terrible and I would wonder uh. well, why is that and, and then I would play a great place and say well, who does this and I finally figured out that there are professionals out there who get paid to, to do this at a very high level and mm -hmm. I interned with a very great company uh, when I was in high school and then went on to Stanford University to study acoustics and engineering got my degree there and uh, played music the whole time, put my th nice. myself through school playing music and, no way, and wow. still ap appreciating the, the ear part of it. You know, it's, it's, it's a dual thing. It's about sensitivity and it's about technology and, and science. And then uh, in my business, uh, one of the greatest things you can do is be able to get certified by your peers and, and board mm. certified. So you go through a whole testing process and an internship and a, and a, and a basically vetting process to be truly able to, to call yourself an expert and that helps for court cases that I work on and everything else but it, it it's really about you know a lot of people have a lot of knowledge there's a lot of knowledge out there but to be able to be um, you know checked by your peers and say yeah you know he really does know enough to really be call himself an expert right. and have a process like that that's that's what I've been able to go through and I really appreciate um, the the power that gives to to actually be able to and power is not the right word but at least the weight of of being able to um, have a backup for a lot of the information I give. Okay, and how long has this been your career for? Uh, since 1992. Awesome, awesome. Well, I want to start diving in if that's okay with you. Uh, the, Love the to. The first one I would like to get into, and also we're on Facebook Live at the moment, so we're going to have some questions coming in. We'll, we'll bring Brian in here in just a little bit, and uh, we'll get some questions from the community. But uh, first thing I want to ask about is uh, a resonance chamber where basically uh, what's described quite frequently uh, in the industry that as a no-no to do is to have gaps in your sheetrock. Um, Basically, any, any kind of air pockets, especially those that aren't going to be fully insulated, uh, because they can cause a resonance chamber that basically works like a whistle, where if sound comes into that chamber, it can actually help amplify it and make it louder into your room, as opposed to dampening it. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think there's a lot of misinformation about this topic. Hmm. Um, I can tell you where it is true, and that's particularly with windows, Gl glass being a monolithic surface, if you put a pane of glass and then an airspace and another pane of glass that are exactly the same thickness and the type of glass, mm -hmm. 
when you get, say, a, a freeway in the distance, it can resonate that one pain at certain frequencies. Every, everything has resonance at various frequencies. And it, but if it's resonating, glass is particularly susceptible to this. Mm. And the other pain is also resonant at those same frequencies. You can get this sort of tone that comes through. And that mm -hmm. may be what you're alluding to. And that's a, that's, that's a real phenomenon. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, if you look at a wall where you have a multiple layers of sheetrock and an air gap and a stud and a multiple layers of sheetrock mm -hmm. on the other side, that same phenomenon is happening probably at extreme low frequencies. Mm -hmm. It's probably not in the audible spectrum. Okay. Um, and, and there are modeling programs that can prove this out. But as a general rule, we very rarely are worried about that particular issue with walls. Um, but to extend on that, having different layer number of layers on one side of the wall versus the other wall does tend to protect from that. And also, you mentioned um, insulation. Having bad insulation in a cavity of a wall is, is really low cost, high STC, high sound reducing performance. So dollar for dollar, that's a great idea to do. And there's a lot of folklore about what type of bats to use and so forth. And I'll just you know tell your listeners right now, cheapest bats, open <laughs> face bats are probably nice. the best product you can get unless you're into a really specialty application. So don't spend mm. a lot of money on that piece. Go mm. for the, the low cost, open face bats, no fancy papers, no fancy labels. Uh, it's a great, a great product to use. You know, I think so. So <laughs> just delving a little bit more uh, into our personal relationship. I, I try not to take up too much of your time talking about soundproofing and, and all of that stuff, but occasionally I'll uh, be like, oh, Tobin's standing by himself. Let me go ask him a, a quick <laughs> question. And during one of those times, I believe you said soundproofing is basically you can spend an unlimited amount of soundproofing, excuse me, of money on soundproofing, but there's an exponential decrease in how quiet you're making it. So it exponentially increases in the amount of money you're paying, but there's an exponential decrease in um, the bang for your buck and in, in the actual uh, decibels that you're lowering. Is that right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Okay. I mean, well, it was can, you who you put you it that way. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was putting it the right way. Well, th th it's funny because that's true. And also, if you go to the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, you can spend inordinate amount of money on specialty products that do not give you better performance than really basic, you know, go to your home store products. And I always get irritated when I hear people going out and buying the latest cool piece of sheetrock or something that, that I know that if they don't pay attention to the hundred other details in it, it's not going to make any difference. And, it, you know, a good analogy would be, or a good example would be, you go buy this specialty sheetrock, you put it on the wall, but you don't sound caulk at the at the edges, for instance. Ah. So you've just wasted your money. Or mm -hmm. you use this special interlayer between the sheetrock layers, but you don't stagger the seams, or you don't put an outlet mm. pad on to keep the leaks minimized. Mm. So there's some principles that people need to follow that you get the most bang for your buck paying attention to the right details first, and then, then you look to these specialty products. Mm-hmm. So I like to try to educate people into the principles of it so you can answer your own questions. You do the first things first. You spend the right amount of money first. And then as you want to improve, it's much more difficult to get better and better and better and more details come into play. But you, you start with the basic, um, the basic features and the basic technologies to get it right. 
and then and then start adding these extra things. I see a lot of people jump to, oh, I read this thing on the internet about the uh, internet about this new isolator, or this new glue, oh, or this new this or that, mm -hmm. and they jump to that, but they don't really understand that that's like step three. You need to make sure you don't have any air leaks first, or you need to make sure you have a big enough cavity, or you need to make sure you know there's a hundred other things to pay attention to. I love it, and I hate to uh, be self-promoting here, but those are exactly the kind of things that we'll be tackling on our soundproofing. Uh, webinar, like just the basic fundamentals of absolute bang for your buck, how to soundproof and all the things that you listed there, we're going to be going more into more detail on during the webinar. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I just needed to interject that because it fits so well. Uh, before we bring on our uh, Facebook Live questions, I also want to ask about mass-loaded vinyl. Uh, this is something that I have heard uh, is used a lot in the float community. I've heard that it's been used successfully, but every float expert that I've spoken to says people don't use it um, in in the projects that they're using. Nobody paying for these very expensive projects are using mass-loaded vinyl. Why not? Do you believe in it? it what? Should we be using it? Should we not be using it? Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh yeah, we it's a tool in the tool belt and okay. there's very specific reasons you want to use mass loaded vinyl. Typically, it comes down to uh, a couple of reasons. One is you don't have a lot of space. I mean, you're mm -hmm. severely limited. Like literally I can't fit another 5 8 inch mm -hmm. uh, piece of sheetrock in, but I need a little bit more. And a lot of times I'll tell people, think of it like a piece of sheetrock. Think of it, think of it, if you're adding it to your wall, uh, there's a couple of subtle be benefits to it, but essentially, if you could put another layer of sheetrock on your wall, you're probably better off with wow. that. Okay. Uh, if you have a floor system, uh, a lot of times I'll see it in floor systems where it's like, you know what, I gotta add some mass on the top of my floor and I just can't, I, I'm, I, my doors are gonna have to all change or I'm gonna <laughs> right. have to do major renovation. I just need to get a little bit extra. If you th think of it intuitively like a piece of sheetrock in terms of performance, but it just happens to be thin, that's a great application Got for it. it. The other application for it is um, it's malleable, so you can, like the pump, let's say you did wanna run your pump during a float and you needed something to calm it down, mm you could actually wrap it in this mass-loaded vinyl and, and tape it airtight, mm. and it would be like putting a sheetrock box around this product. Interesting. So, cool. so it's, it's, it's a plastic medium that you can play with to solve problems, but don't think of it as some sort of magic component. It's just another component. Great answer. Thank you. I love it. I'm excited to take Facebook Live questions, but first I just want to give a shout out to FloatAway, www.floataway.com. They've been with us since the beginning of this podcast, and we appreciate that so much. Uh, that's just the kind of connection that you get with FloatAway. I've said this before, but we gave them no money. We bought a used FloatAway float tank, and they've been so supportive. Uh, this is something that I talk about with clients pretty frequently, but you're buying into a relationship, and whether they honor your contract or whether they say, you know, if if something's broken on your tank was actually uh, the fault of uh, one of your customers and they won't guarantee that warranty, that's that's the relationship that you're buying into. It's extremely important. And these people have only been incredibly supportive to Sandra and I in the float shop as uh, we have bought a used tra Tranquility float tank and now we have a brand new FloatAway Tranquility float tank. So uh, www.floataway.com is where you wanna go to check it out. Brian, uh, how many questions do we have so far? Yeah, we've got, uh, we've probably got about four or five questions from Facebook Live. Oh, awesome. Cool. Let's go ahead and jump into those. Cool. So our first one is from uh, Dana Heifel, who's uh, building a 
Growth Center here in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of related to um, the thing that Dylan was mentioning about uh, you can spend money on every soundproofing thing available, but there's <laughs> there's some diminishing returns at some point. So Dana's question is as follows. I don't have bottomless pockets, but if I did, I would use every type of soundproofing available to make a float room. I'm in the process of getting construction bids, and so far they are more than I'd like to spend. I'm curious, what's the order in which you would value different soundproofing solutions? What should I remove from a cost-effectiveness standpoint? Of the things listed here, double leaf walls, resilient sound isolation clips, double layers of 5-8 inch sheetrock, green glue, regular insulation versus special sound rated insulation, solid core doors with a drop down sweep. Let's stick with that for now. Yeah, is there anything from that list that (laughs) would be, that is not, maybe not worth it if you don't have bottomless pockets? Well, I would start with the idea that basically my experience so far with um, float facilities is you can pretty much do everything you need to with basic materials. Mm. And the only reason to introduce a fancy material is because you have some problem you couldn't otherwise solve with a basic material. I'll give you an example. If you had two float rooms together and you wanted to do maximum separation between those two, you could do a double stud wall with multiple layers of sheetrock and, and basic bad insulation if you have the space for that, that's one of the absolute best solutions you can possibly do. That didn't require any special glues, any special clips, any special mass-loaded vinyl. It didn't require any of these fancy pieces. But if you're also space-constrained and you really want to make a small wall, then you need to start looking at these creative products that add a little something to it. The biggest waste of money is finding a product that makes a promise that it can't deliver. Hmm. So someone who is budget limited, you really need to pay attention to the fact that a lot of the products out there for acoustics prey on the fact that you don't really know what they're talking about. So they sound really cool and they get somebody to say it's really cool. But in fact, uh, and this is where the rubber meets the road, you need a field test. And what I mean by that is it's really, they'll show you maybe a lab test of the STC or the sound reduction uh, properties of the product. Uh, The first question I always ask them is, well, have you actually had an installation where you've tested it and it actually works this way? And you're going to get a lot of real quiet error after that for about 90% of the products out there. So a good consumer who's concerned about quality and concerned about uh, delivering a fantastic acoustic experience for for float clients it's all about information and and particularly rubber meets the road prove it to me Hmm. so i want to go i want to see that when you added this to a facility it actually did drop it by 20 decibels or a million decibels or whatever you're claiming it'll do i i won't name names but i tell you what most of the big names in these fancy products out there we have done field testing of them and uh, the vast majority of them do not do what they say they will do and to their credit it may not be their fault there's a lot more detail to pay attention to Mm -hmm. but going back to your original question the the approach i would take to it first of all is where is your most important acoustic environment? It's probably the float room, I would assume. So start with that. Um, figure out what are your noisy, what are your noise sources? Is it the road? Is it pump room? Is it 
uh, water flow? Is it the uh, reception area? Figure out where all your sources of noise are, figure out where you want it quiet, and focus on only the interfaces between those areas. So the walls, the ceiling, the floor, the doors. Uh, a lot of the things that they, the person asking the question named are, are key pieces. And mm -hmm. uh, I'll key in on a couple of them. The door seals are probably one of the biggest elements you can drastically affect sound. You could buy a $500 door or a $200 door, and if you don't have airtight seals on them, they're going to work about the same, right? So, um, and there are a couple of places that get really good seals, um, which I can, you know, give to Dylan after this, and you can post and have fun with it. Uh, but the, there are some great manufacturers of door seals, and if you adjust them properly, put in the mm. sweat equity to make them work, boy, you can, you can have a very inexpensive door work very well. That said, I would typically want to start with a solid core door if you can. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, do you want to direct me on this, Dylan? Any f uh, more uh, detail on that you know, question? Uh, I think that's a great answer. As, as <laughs> we'll see if Dane has a follow-up question to that, but I think that was fantastic, and I, I think you're making a lot of friends here tonight because mm -hmm. you're talking about. Um, I, I mean, I love bang for the buck, and that's what most float center operators are trying to get. Right? We don't want to spend top dollar. We want the best soundproofing possible at, while saving as much money as possible. And people are, are willing and able to, but certainly not if they don't have to. So I love, I love what you're describing here. Lance? What, what Dana was saying there, she said double, double five-eighths drywall. Mm -hmm. um, maybe if you are looking to cut a bit of money in some areas, you could probably just go single five-eighths. And then in the future, if you are having sound mm -hmm. issues, you could double up or triple up on that. Um, drywall if you need to but um, like mentioned a lot of those are you know staple items with the batting the the tracking the solid cold doors um, it's not cheap to build a float center and it right. sort of grabs you when you when you start digging deep and realize how much it does cost but yeah I think that's another subtlety please uh, uh, another subtlety you might want to look out for too is the HVAC system you got to get air into these spaces mm -hmm. too for ventilation and, and uh, uh, proper temperature, uh, a lot of times you can build a fabulous room and fabulous doors and everything else is working perfectly, but now you've got this pipe between spaces that, that <laughs> basically is like a speaking tube on the old submarines. <laughs> so um, you want to save money, take your uh, very careful approach as the owner and look at every possible route for sound to get into your clients and solve every single one of them. Usually they're pretty low-tech solutions, but if you miss one, you've just spent a lot of money, you've wasted a lot of money, at, at least temporarily, in getting the result you're trying to achieve. Uh, Brian, let's go cool, ahead and Oh, great. Oh, actually, you know what? Do um, I am actually interested in Dana's, she had a bonus question, if, if you don't mind here. Uh, yeah, I was- <laughs> Go for it, Brian. I was gonna ask that uh, bonus follow-up question. Uh, which is a good one. So uh, Dana says, I need raised floors due to being over a parking garage. Do you have any advice for isolating sound in a raised floor construction? The concrete slab is nine inches thick. It's the floor penetrations I'm worried about being a direct route for sound. Right, that is the right issue. I mean, again, you, nine inch concrete should be awesome. You should be able to scream on one side of that and not hear it or, or you know, rev your motorcycle down in the parking garage and faintly hear it up there. Uh, the, the leaks is number one. So uh, finding a way to airtight seal that um, concrete system 
Uh, and if, if there are big holes and large gaps around pipes or anything like that, mm. they need to be sealed up. I mean, get sheetrock, get... Uh, uh, there's some products like Structolite, which is a basically a liquid uh, or a malleable sheetrock or anything that can basically add mass and air tightness to any kind of a gap is your first step always. Then you look at what are we going to do above. There are additional elements you can do for the flooring above the slab to increase the sound transmission properties of it. And this goes to, it's probably not practical to add another nine inches of uh, concrete, <laughs> but this is where you, this is where uh, fancier systems can actually pay dividends. And the, the idea there is to actually f uh, float, <laughs> pardon the pun, but float a floor <laughs> on top of that um, concrete where, where you have isolation system that allows a mass to be separated from the concrete mass. Uh, one of the physical principles of acoustics is if you can get two masses that are separate, whether there's a spring between them or some sort of a really resilient material, and the bigger the air gap, the better, and the more resilient, the better, you get nonlinear increases in your, your sound transmission properties. So this is where fancy clips for walls and, and fancy isolation pods and these kinds of things really pay off uh, in, in height-restricted scenarios. Um, so uh, there, there are products uh, that would float that floor above it, uh, and I'm talking a couple inches if you can, if, if you can handle the, the, the height addition. You can um, not quite double, but you can get you know a third to a half more uh, performance out of that floor system. Uh, but definitely start. You got to start with the uh, the air tightness. Um, the the other subtle thing you can watch for is anything that that actually connects to that slab, even if it's hundreds of feet away can propagate through the slab and into your quiet room. Um, and this is one of the trickiest pieces of acoustics where structure-borne vibration can re-radiate anywhere because yes. the slab is so useful at, at, at transmitting things. It's like the old uh, uh, cowboy listening to the railroad track and they can hear uh, miles away, hear the train. It's that idea that it's just so homogenous. This medium's homogenous, so it allows it to effectively travel anywhere. I have so many great examples of this, um, but I I that principle needs to be applied here too. So go, uh, and this is where a little uh, cunning plays uh, to your benefit. I would literally be putting my ear down to that slab uh, regularly and listening to see what you hear. I mean, are you hearing pumps? Are you hearing traffic? Are you hearing you know, pipe noise? Those kinds of things and track that down and it needs to be separated at low tech as possible, it needs to be separated from that slab. Now, what do you think about just laying down some two by fours? Uh, as separation to create that air gap? It would help because it creates an air gap, but you'd still have that physical connection. Mm -hmm. So even the simplest little rubber pad underneath there, uh, not fastened, by the way, because you want to think of it like if that if that slab is vibrating, you want nothing getting, getting through that vibration uh, uh, in... Um, separation device like a, a, a neoprene pad, a rubber pad, or a spring, or a, uh, there's a there's hundred different products that will do this, but if you if you put a, say a two by four straight on that uh, slab and then did your flooring above that, that's going to help because you're going to get a little air gap and you're going to get a little separation with a mass up on top, separated from the mass below, adding a little rubber pad onto all of those uh, uh, two by fours framed on there will help with Massively, it'll help with uh, vibration, but it'll also help with the sound transmission because it sound wants to travel through 
homogeneous medium, meaning the same material. So the mm -hmm. uh, 2x4 looks, feels a lot, it's, it's stiff like uh, concrete, so it's going to transmit that vibration easily through that. But if there's a little separation in there, enough to make it have to jump that gap, that will be uh, massively effective. Toby, this is great material. I love it. Thanks so much. I love this. Uh, let's let's move on to the next question here. Dylan, I feel like in that example, you've been the cowboy ear to the ground listening to <laughs> shipping trucks and Harley Davidson's going yeah. down 23rd Avenue. Absolutely. But also, like, uh, part of the webinar, one of the things we would talk about is, like, yeah, that that's so true. Like, that slab concrete can be such a great barrier to sound, especially, like, as a wall. Everything's going to bounce off of that. When it's as a floor, it's very hard to create any vibration. But once you do... You know, you could be on the other end of a, a parking garage and you can hear that vibration or you can be right next to it and hear that vibration. It's just one giant conduit. So that was, that was interesting for Tobin to cover. But uh, yeah, please, please continue. Cool. We've got a, Greg uh, left us a couple questions, so I'll start with the first one. <laughs> okay. um, Tobin, Greg would love to have you explain, uh, explain to the listeners the, uh, some of these acronyms that are commonly used in soundproofing. So... STC, OITC, and ICC ratings. Um, what are the differences between them? What are the importances of each? Um, feels like this would be beneficial to a lot of float centers to kind of learn the basics of, of talking the language. Yeah, it really is key because it's, it's, it's easy to get snowed by somebody telling you some acronym you don't know what it is and say, oh, that sounds impressive. Hmm. Um, the STC is the most basic one and that if you if you think of STC, it's sound transmission class, which is um, essentially it's a shorthand way to talk about how well some partition, whether it be a wall, floor, ceiling, window, door, reduces sound going from one side to the other. In reality, when you do this on an engineering basis, you look at every frequency. So you look at like at 100 hertz, how many decibels are getting through. And at 1,000 hertz, how many decibels are getting through? And, and if you plotted that out on a graph, you'd see this very complicated uh, layout for every material has this, and every combination of materials has this. And you can imagine, I mean, geeks like me would love to talk about that all day, but if you're trying to compare products, you want a single number. Mm -hmm. Give me a single number. What, what mm -hmm. is this? Is this a 5? Is it a 10? Is it a 20? So STC is a um, highly calculated and I just did like seven of these today. So they're, they're, I mean, literally you're into spreadsheets and you're into curve fitting and you're into all these things. But at the end of the day, it's a really useful way to say, if I had two wall choices and one's a 50 STC and one's a 45 STC, that hell really helps me. And one is, you know, 10% more than the other, I can make a value decision. So STC in short is a single number way to rate the acoustical redu sound reduction of a, of a partition without having to use all the frequencies, but it still takes into account the frequencies, so it's a useful way to compare things. Can I, can I build off of that, and, and maybe just with an analogy? I, I think of it as the STC score is your college GPA, but the frequencies are, you're actually really good at math, and that's the frequency you're trying to block, but you don't really care about, so this, this student was terrible at history, but that's a frequency you're not, you don't really care about, so it doesn't really matter. But it's all factored into your, S well, not all of it, but there's a, a range that's all within your STC score that's going to create your GPA to bounce around between analogies. Uh, 
Is that yeah? Is let that me accurate? let me extend on that. Yeah, that's fantastic, and that actually applies. Let me jump to the last one, the IIC. It's mm. not ICC. It's IIC, the Impact Insulation Class. It's very similar to STC in that it's also a curve fit, um, and there's this very expensive device that I have that taps on a floor with five different weights. L looks like a, like a five-cylinder Volvo engine or something, and you literally put it on the floor, and it pounds on the floor with a certain uh, amount of force, and it's calibrated. It's this Danish device I have. It's fantastic. Uh, and IIC is essentially derived from, if I use this little pounding machine on, on a floor ceiling system, and I measure down below in a certain pattern, I get a bunch of frequencies from a calibrated source pounding on a surface. And if I do a bunch of math and play with spreadsheets for a while, I get one number where it curve fits to that number. And essentially, impact insulation class is designed for how much footfall noise you're going to get above, your, uh, above you, essentially. So if I'm moving into an apartment and I'm, I can hear okay. the person walking in high heels and I can literally point to where they're walking, yeah. that IIC is probably going to be fairly low. And um, the, it, what's interesting is there are international standards for what that needs to be at a minimum, uh, STC and IIC for, for multifamily projects, but that's a, a different topic. So that impact insulation class is, is a corollary to STC, but it's all about pounding above you. Um, and to Dylan's point, if, if, if you go with the analogy about the, I'm really good at science, but I'm terrible at English, um, both of these systems have limitations. So IIC in particular is very limited. It doesn't include low frequency. So if I bounce a basketball on, on a, um, above your float shop uh, while somebody's floating, I can have the same IIC number with two complete different assemblies. One you're going to hear the basketball and one you're not with the same rating. So there's limitations to it. Oh, wow. and, and, and that's where the frequencies become very important to pay attention to. So yeah. that's a deeper level of engineering. But just to, to show the point that IIC is useful as shorthand, but it really doesn't tell the whole picture. And this is also where manufacturers can fool you as a consumer and give you a number, but it's actually not as good as some other product that might be worth paying more or less for. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one was OITC. I would say for uh, the majority of the folks listening to the podcast, OITC is not super useful. And the reason is, is that it's, uh, it's trying to account for uh, bus and train and aircraft noise. It's trying to basically dumb down STC to prove the point that frequencies are important and there's more low frequency energy that's going to that's gonna come through. Mm. So all it's it's similar to STC but it, it it uses this it uses this source if you will that is that is really heavily low frequency dependent and it shows a lot of transportation noise coming through your walls um, it might be good to look at in addition to STC to look at how much lower it is so if it's a STC 50 wall you're designing and the OIT is like 32 you realize hmm there's probably a lot of low frequency noise coming in through that but more importantly is to look at the STC, and and think about the frequencies you're trying to solve. So uh, hopefully that makes sense. OITC is essentially STC for transportation noise coming in from outside. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, Super I would, interesting. I'd love to take a break from the Facebook questions. I think Amy has some questions as well. Amy, did you want to ask those? Well, the great thing is, is he's been so fantastic and oh. so <laughs> thorough. My <laughs> questions actually got answered already. Tobin, uh, you're killing yeah. it. <laughs> Good stuff, man. I'm taking my uh, notes. 
yeah, right. Let's jump back to uh, the Facebook questions then. Yeah. Cool. Um, so can you talk about weak spots in rooms? Uh, for example, outlets, low STC rated doors, can lights, et cetera, and how to properly soundproof them, either using putty, light boxes, high STC rated doors. You bet. Uh, the best tool in acoustics and the tool that I use the most is my ear. And uh, literally, I mean, I will, even when I do these really high-tech STC and IIC tests, I, I walk around and I listen very carefully at all the outlets and at all of the uh, places where you might put caulk or around doors, at door seals, at door mm. you know, keyholes and everything else. Uh, use your ears. And the way to do this is get a loud sound source, like a speaker of some kind, put it in the other room, blast it, walk around and literally you'll, your ears will tell you better than the best instrument exactly where that sound's coming through. Mm -hmm. So, and it, it take all the time you need, but that is, that is the key. Uh, solving it is, is relatively straightforward once you know where it is. You could overkill it and, and waste a lot of money and a lot of time. Mm -hmm. But for instance, if you're listening, I, this happens to me quite often, I'll be listening to a wall, I'll be blasting uh, white noise or pink noise on the other side of the wall, just basically that that being noise that has all the frequencies in it at various levels, and I can hear sort of this hissing coming over from the uh, you know the outside wall where the wall meets the outside wall at a, at a window mullion, let's say, and uh, I'm looking, and then the next thing I'll do sometimes is I wait till it's dark, get a really high intensity flashlight on the other side, and, and shine that through, and ah, I can see exactly where it's coming through. So using really low-tech tools, using your intuition, using your, your abilities to be a sleuth, you can find these things. The solutions are all, all about airtight, right? So if you pick a caulk uh, to, to acoustically caulk something, all an acoustical caulk is is one that's not going to harden over time, right? It's malleable. So it fits in the gap. Go ahead. I was just going to say that's my big question is everyone always turns to green glue, and green glue is not cheap so mm -hmm. does any non-hardening non caulk or silicone really work um the the same as something like green good green well, glue would there's also green glue sealant which is what's going to be on the like the edges of the sheetrock as opposed to between the sheetrock uh the layers of it Tillman, do you want to take that right yeah this again is where i i go for low tech um mm -hmm. because it's frankly just as effective as long as you get a good a good brand that everybody might recognize in the building trades, an acoustical caulk by definition is a caulk that seals airtight and stays soft. So it, if you see a bad caulk, and I saw this the other day, I actually saw this in a couple of multi-million dollar acoustical installations with the highest tech spring isolated ceilings, studio grade, and they used Don't talk a about cruddy the float caulk. shop. Enough, enough yeah. about the shop. My goodness. <laughs> it's not your specific. What issue did you no. find in our multi-million dollar? Oh, go ahead, please. <laughs> <laughs> this was this was a, a major major client who spent inordinate amount of money doing this, and they called me and they had a problem with it. And I looked and I I could see cracks in the caulk. I mean anybody could have seen this. You know a little bit of sleuthing, you see there's air gaps all along all the wow. edges. And I said, well, what caulk did you use? Oh, we use this uh, special caulk that somebody said was better than the acoustical caulk. And I was like, <laughs> fantastic. Well, go replace it all now. <laughs> so. Yeah. A, a, you know, a, a very low-tech caulk, and you can test this yourself. Uh, go get a tube of it, put it on something, come back a week later. If it's starting to pull away or shrink up or crack, it's not going to work. I mean, it's really, really that low-tech. Going on to outlets. Outlets are tricky because they are essentially 
a, a leak point for multiple points of leakage. It goes through the outlet, it goes through the, where the wire punches in the back. You have a series of outlets in there. Now, this is a very well-tested phenomenon. They they did a test where they put a wall in a lab with no outlets in it, and they tested it. It was STC-50. They put one outlet in it with no backing on it. It dropped to STC-43 or something like that. They put two outlets on it, on one on one side, one on the other. It dropped to STC-40. So 10 STC points wow. is essentially half the performance, right? So you're you're just two outlets dropped it that much. And that's true for cracks and gaps and so forth. And then they put the outlet, the, these putty pads on the back of the outlets, and it came back to almost the same number as it was without the, without the outlets. So that's extremely effective. Um, the biggest question I get is, well, we didn't put them on in the first place. Now what do we do? Well, uh, I believe that you can actually go in and, and take a putty pad and, and pull, the, pull the plate off and put it back in the box, pull everything out of the box and fit it inside the box from the side that you're dealing with mm -hmm. and make it just as airtight. Cool. And then also keep in mind you want to caulk around the edges of that where it meets the sheetrock. You really just think airtight. Think airtight the whole time. Uh, I've seen some products recently that, that have these pads that you can put behind the outlet plate and th that claim the same performance. And, um, you know, I keep my skeptical eye on that because I, I haven't tested in the field and I haven't seen a field test. But that theoretically could do a, a similar, uh, have a similar benefit. Look for sprinkler pipes. Look for out anything that penetrates ceiling. Don't use ceiling cans if you can help it. Use surface-mounted lights. Try to surface-mount as much as you can in the space. It'll save money. It'll save effort. And it'll be a lot cleaner. Uh, and then again, the HVAC stuff. You got to look for every leak in HVAC mm -hmm. that's going to be there. I'd like to make uh, maybe bring in one or two more questions, Brian, if that's okay. Yeah, I think I think we got time for two more questions. This one's from uh, Jack Ashley Luke. Uh, what are the best sound absorbers to use after construction? Um, are there any good options for uh, decor, room decor as sound reducers? Mm. Hi, Jack. Good to, good to hear from you. <laughs> That's a great question, Jack. First thing to keep in mind, there's a complete difference between sound reduction through a surface, so soundproofing a room, and making it sound good inside of a room. So when Dylan's going to... Uh, Carnegie Hall, if there's an echo in that room, you want acoustical treatment on the walls of that room. If he's hearing the truck drive by, <laughs> that same acoustical treatment on the surface, like a, a absorptive panel, is going to do nothing for that sound coming through. I see this as the number one confusion that, that consumers, architects, builders, folks that are trying to solve these problems with no expertise run into. If, if you are hearing your neighbor in your apartment putting sleeping bags on the walls or, or acoustical panels is going to do nothing about the sound coming through that wall. So keep that in mind, first of all. N and then to answer the question directly, there's another term that you should know, which is called NRC, the noise reduction coefficient. That also is shorthand for how well a product absorbs of any kind. So uh, the NRC rating, if they don't have an NRC rating or they give you a blank look when you ask for it, then it's probably not an acoustical material, but it's meant to be sold as one. Uh, NRC goes from 0 to 1, which is essentially, a f if, you, if you like math, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fraction, it's a, it's a, uh, a 1 be 100% absorptive, 0 be 0% absorptive. Now, carpet's probably 15%, so the NRC's 0.15. Mm -hmm. A good 1 or 2 inch thick 
fiberglass-based fabric-wrapped acoustical panel might be a 0 0.9, 0 0.95, and you can even mount it off the wall with some spacers, and it can be 100% absorptive. Um, and then there are manufacturers that'll tell you that they have products that are 150% absorptive. Now, if you like math, that's a really fun one to challenge yourself <laughs> with. But that's that regularly happens, too. So the best absorber is one that um, cost versus NRC gets you what you're trying to do. So you can buy a cheap, if you use carpet, for instance, it might be super cheap, but it's 15% effective. So you, how much more of that do you need than just a single acoustical panel that's 100% effective? So you, you multiply the NRC by the square footage and you get what's called the number of Sabins. So a lot of times it's actually, if, you, if you're really into this, you use Sabins rather than the NRC rating because that's the square footage that's absorptive. So a one by one panel that's 100% absorptive is one Sabin, but a, a piece of carpet that's the same size is 0.15 Sabin. So. Hmm. And, and that goes to my low-tech um, mantra also on this, which is, hey, there are a lot of products out there that have a 0 0.8, 0 0.9, uh, NRC rating that are extremely low cost and typically the only the high cost ones are either marketing cost like they're really pushing them wow. or they look really beautiful uh -huh. you know like mm -hmm. it's perforate micro perforated uh, African mahogany you know from what? not from Africa you know or you know whatever <laughs> it is so it, it you gotta you gotta watch out for the marketing and also if you really need something beautiful if your float shop is supposed to be this magnificent place plan to spend more money on that because it's got to look right. Excellent, Brian. Let's uh, let's bring in the last question of the night here. Cool. Our last question is uh, from Greg Griffin again. He used up <laughs> uh, all three of his max questions, so this is his <laughs> last one. Um, thanks, Greg. We really appreciate all the questions. Of course. Tobin, can you talk about why double stud walls are a float center's best friends when you have float rooms next to one another? Mm. Yes. Um, and the way to think of that is um, if you start with uh, improving STC with more mass runs out of steam real quick. Mm. For, I'll give you an example. If you did a four-inch thick concrete wall and you said, you know what, that's not enough. I need, I need to double that performance. So you, you basically double the mass of a wall, you get about six STC points. So, so you start with, say, let's just arguably say a four-inch wall is like 40 STC. So I double it to an eight-inch wall, and I'm up to 46. It's, it's, that's not the exact numbers, but let's just for the sake sure, of argument. Sure. We get six additional STC points, and you say, you know what? That's not enough. I really want to cut that extra you know, six or 10 dB out. So now we're into a, you know, you have to double that wall again to get another six STC. And so now we're into a 16-inch thick concrete mm. wall. And you're like, you know what? I just need I just need that little bit more. I need it to go to <laughs> 11, right? So now we're into a 32-inch wall. So that's the mass law they talk about in acoustics. You, you double the mass, you get, you get a certain number of uh, STC points. The reason a double wall is so beautiful is that you get a, a non-linear jump by separating masses. So that, that when sound vibrates one side of it, it then has to vibrate this uh, massive, relatively massive medium, and then it's got to jump across a gap, and then it's got to vibrate another mass. And, and so that, go ahead. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I'm just, in case any of our listeners don't know what this is, basically what we're talking about is sheetrock to a stud. So um, the, a standard wall is going to be sheetrock, stud, sheetrock. What we're talking about is sheetrock, stud, air gap, another stud, and sheetrock on that other side, which creates this air cavity. Sorry, I, I was just concerned that some people might yeah, not know what that Yeah, that's a good was. point. 
and, and really specifically, it's also the, the bottom plates that you're mounting those studs mm. on are separated by at least about an inch. So there's a staggered stud systems and so forth. That's not the same thing. Uh, we could talk about that in another more ref uh, uh, specialized <laughs> podcast. But that's nice. essentially double stud is double plates. It's a huge air gap between your sheetrock. If you think about it, you've got you know probably 10 inches between those, eight, eight 10 inches uh, between the layers. So the sound has to vibrate one side. It has to jump across this big gap, which, by the way, you fill with bad insulation. Right. So then it's, <laughs> it's, it's turned into heat as it's trying to vibrate through that. So it's even more effective. And then it tries to vibrate the other side. So even a single layer of sheetrock with a double stud system with bats in the cavity is much better than multiple layers of sheetrock on a single stud. Mm -hmm. And and that's the whole point is that it, 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 with a single stud, it vibrates one side, it vibrates through the stud, and then vibrates the other side. Um, and you're getting that. Uh, you're, you're not getting that separation. It doesn't have to jump any kind of a gap. Partially it does because it has to get through the cavity, so you put the bad insulation in there, it helps a little bit. But by this large air gap, a lot of insulation in the cavity, you get a lot more STC out of that versus adding more and more and more mass to it. That's great. That's a great answer. Thank you so much, Tobin. I hope that was okay that we had just had a series of very technical questions for you tonight. <laughs> I hope this was fun I for enjoy you. enjoy it. This great. Is handled them with ease. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and actually, I should say, Lance and Amy, do you have any follow-up questions that you guys want to ask before we wrap up? That's some good stuff. No, Tobin, thank no. you so much. That was so wonderful. <laughs> I think our float community is going to absolutely love this and, and just eat it up. So, <laughs> so thank you so much. And uh, everybody else who's listening, just remember there's an infinite amount to find in the presence of nothing. So spend some time there. We'll see you next week.